Now, welcome to the Embark mini-pod brought to you by Embark Group as we take a snapshot look at some of the finer topics from across the industry. Now, we're going to be talking about some of the key insights from the findings of the latest Embark Investor Confidence Barometer. And today, how is wealth going to be transferred between generations over the next 25 years? And joining me, I'm very pleased to say, to talk about all this, is Phil Bungie, who's CEO of Advance by Embark. Phil, welcome. Thanks for being with us. And Hi. Can we, just, can we just start with a, what, what struck me is an extraordinary statistic, a rather startling one. King's Court Trust says £5.5 trillion is expected to pass between generations in the UK by 2047. I mean, that, that's a pretty startling amount. I mean, we obviously have to take it seriously. We certainly do, and and you know, and that uh, you know, the the wealth has built up in 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 the UK, and um, yeah, I think you know we we've sort of gone through the baby boomers to the millennials, Generation X, and so on, and you know there there is there is a lot of wealth around that that will get transferred. And what was fascinating about this survey, the the, the confidence barometer, was the mechanism for some of this because um, some of the clients who got relatives in contact with the same financial advisor were asked how the relationship came about. And they said most often these were instigated by the client or the partner, not the advisor. Does that surprise you? Not really, to be honest. I think, you know, the, the advice uh, is can be a very personal thing between the advisor and, and his client. And, um, you know, also with the, the stiff British upper lip, we probably... Uh, find it difficult to push those questions about family sometimes I think you know, and uh, so it doesn't surprise me that it comes the other way around. And, I mean I'm, I suppose as part of that is it something that should be being addressed then is it something that needs work frankly? I think yeah looking at the statistics it, it definitely shows that we, we I think you know for the advisor community I think they could do a lot more in terms of trying to maintain those future relationships. I mean, from your experience, when you're talking to people, do they want to involve other generations? I mean, is it something that they're really keen to bring in the children, the grandchildren, the partners? Is that part of it? I think it's become much more uh, prevalent now about uh, involving the other generations. Uh, but, you know, I, I certainly I come from a background where, where um, we didn't talk about money you know, in, in the family. So it's not just an advisor problem. A lot of families don't talk to each other about money as well. Do you think that's changing? I think it is, as you know, as we get, as we learn more, and as you know, the presence of social media, and I think, you know, our our financial well-being is now one of those things that um, is starting to be thought out at a younger age. Uh, it's always for me been amazing that even today, we still don't treat, uh, just don't teach finance at school. I just find it amazing that that's still not a subject that that's discussed at school. But you're seeing these uh, new applications around that, that parents are using with their children, like uh, I think it's Go Henry, is it, where they can give their children a card so they can start to get uh, some of the basic concepts of handling money. So do you think, I mean, that sensitivity has gone? Does it still need to be handled with sensitivity? Because I suppose when you talk about the next generations, you're sort of presuming the death of the current one, aren't you? Yeah, very much so. And, and so, yeah, that's, I think there's still there still will be some sensitivity there. Um, so it's, I think it, naturally it's much easier if the partner of a, of a client 
actually pushes the agenda and th then it's uh, I guess a bit easier for the advisor in that sense that they you know they've come to him now one other really interesting aspect of this and it pays into something we've been talking about on on the Embark podcast in the past which is about female advisors being having skills in some ways perhaps that some male ones don't in this now there's a, there was definitely a split that came up in the barometer the attitudes of female advisors towards intergenerational planning and those of male advisors 74 percent of female advisors considered it important to build relationships with clients children or grandchildren compared with only 53 percent of male advisors i mean again is that is that something that we should be surprised about it was a bit of a surprise to see that big a difference you'd expect some uh i think i think the female advisors may be uh, more sensitive to the to some of the family aspects than perhaps some of the male advisors um and but i was surprised to see it's such a big difference uh and i think it's probably the advisors themselves as well not getting used to that there is a lot of money at stake in in this area if they don't do something about it yeah i mean it was very interesting i think um jackie leaper your ceo of course uh, raised this and said, you know, maybe another another nod to the benefits of hiring female advisors. Perhaps if they are that much more effective, um, maybe it's another argument if one needed one for, for, for making uh, the gender balance more uh, more balanced uh, in this whole area. Yeah, and it was interesting, you know, if you look back at the history of the of the market, obviously the if, if I like, dare I say the, the older advisors uh, were probably much more male dominated. And and so I think as we get not only female advisors but younger advisors, I think then that will start to open up this area uh, much more effectively than it has been today. Do you think it is just that uh, again? You know, you talked about the sensitivity, the feeling perhaps we shouldn't be talking about this, even talking about money at all in previous generations. Uh, do you think that's another aspect of this that that, that somehow female advisors are? perhaps more willing to take these things on i mean you know it's very hard not to talk almost in sexist language in this but, but it does seem that, that there are skills there that, that simply haven't been tapped into by the advisor world the finance world in the past and now have to be for financial reasons let alone purely for justice yeah i, I it's really really difficult to put your finger on it but uh, you know I, th I think um I think female advisors are probably more able to ask slightly more sensitive questions than male advisors. I, that's what I suspect as a sort of gut feeling is that that they're just able to do that um, in a, an effective way, and therefore they they can get that process going of getting introduced to other members of the family. And I suppose the key thing going on from this is how and how successful it is is whether you retain the next generation. I mean, it, when, when you're talking to the next generation, perhaps the children, the grandchildren, but when the, the client dies, how far are the children and grandchildren willing to stay with the same advisors, the same company when they make their own decisions? What, what's the picture on that? Well, I think, yeah, that this, this is really, uh, really interesting, I think, because there's two things. I think, you, you know, anyone who's had any financial advice, probably there there, there is something personal about it. So when you do have an advisor you, you there's an element of personal trust between the two of you to to help you make those, those decisions so i think what's important with the intergenerational thing is that the advisor companies need to ensure that they've also employed a diverse range of advisors in their company 
so that they can match uh, uh, the needs of the different clients and the different ages of those clients. You know, so in some cases, intergenerational wealth may happen at 50, 60, and other elements it may happen in the in when you're 20. So you know, I think different people are needed to deal with those different um, market segments. And there needs to be some sort of, uh, I guess, compatibility between the client and, and his or her advisor. Yeah, because I, I, I guess, you know, it's your next generation saying, oh, I'm, I'm not going to do what my dad or my granddad did and, and, and want to make a change, perhaps. I mean, that, that's always a possibility. I mean, it's interesting. Another statistic came out of this. Um, only 10 percent um, of advisors said they retain the business of family members as clients for the vast majority of the clients who die. I mean, that's that's really quite small, isn't it? It is. And 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 I think, you know, there the there's different attitudes between the generation. You certainly see that in terms of how uh, the younger generations, for example, one of the things I talked to some of my friends about and their, their children is how, how much, how many, uh, we live in a takeaway culture, which is much more the younger people who, uh, who have that culture and things like uh, music subscription services and so on. So there's a slightly different way the younger generations look at the world to, to, to the older generations. So we've got to make sure there's people around the industry who understand what their needs are because they're not the same as their parents. So we need younger advisors is what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, I think uh, I think we do. I think we do, do need to make sure the industry is uh, bringing in new talent. I think, you know, if you I think if you looked at the demographic of advisors, it would definitely be uh, looking that the, the chart would be very high on the right hand side where where there's the more senior uh people are populated most of the advisory market today i think that's still true how important then do you think this whole issue is for 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 advisors in terms of retaining a family uh, retaining the children the grandchildren and keeping it going i mean is it a really big part of what people like you need to think about I think it can be really important because, you know, if you think about wealth planning and you think about things like inheritance tax and so on, having an advisor that can look at it from a family point of view could be very uh, effective rather than it being done by several different advisors all trying to uh, give advice to different elements of the family. So I definitely think there are some big opportunities in this for both the advisors and the families that they're trying to serve. Because I guess the, the part, big part of it really is thinking long term. I mean, thinking not that uh, you know, you're making an investment with an eye to the next few years, but possibly much longer than that and, and carrying on uh, beyond lifetimes. I mean, it, the, the financial aspects of that are rather important because obviously things build up much more over a, a longer period or can be. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, if things like inheritance tax, for example, there's some uh, effective things that can be done there from a planning sense. If, if you do that on a long term basis and don't wait until uh, the day that that member passes away. So I think that's that, that is quite an important thing to to get that that sort of planning going early on in, in the client's mind and, you know, and there and the uh, receivers of that that wealth and, and it's best I think that it gets done earlier rather than later. So Phil we've talked about the need for doing this and the advantages of, of trying to reach out to, into the next generations and continuing the intergenerational involvement but what is it that, that you would look at and say well this is what we've got to do now 
to make that real? What are the most important things or changes that need to be there to achieve this? I think we need to ensure that um, we, we, we are building more diversity into the advisors themselves and the advisor firms. I think that's starting to happen, but that could be accelerated properly. And obviously, and that includes whether it's females or some younger advisors, but I think for advisors themselves, it's, it's, it's about delivering a, a, a good diverse mix of advisors in their company to, to be able to face off to the, the different uh, demands of the different generations that they face. Is it also a question perhaps of slightly changing the, the way the product is, is marketed, just, just showing it in a different way? Um, you know, I mean, people you know, in the past have cast the financial industry in some ways as a bit fuddy-duddy. you just got to get out of that mindset, haven't you? Yeah, and I, I think that, that that's true. And I think it's starting to change uh, a bit. We, you know, we, it, and actually, the pandemic has helped us start to see that change. I think it was very much accepted before the pandemic that that to get advice, you'd have to sit in front of an advisor. And you know, the only ways of doing that were to either travel to them or for them to travel you, neither ideal. And I think the use of things like video technology, for example, will make a big change uh, to the acceptance. Uh, and I think we've still got a long way to go on technology in terms of presenting technology uh, to the younger generations uh, that they find uh, useful and uh, dare I say enjoyable to look at and understand what they need to do and I think we've got a long way to go on that and uh, we're still at the very cusp of I guess smartphone technology as far as I'm concerned. Yeah you know, I mean making, ev- uh, make, making tech it. enjoyable is an interesting one isn't it but, but of course to that generation it is it is much more their well, world anyway so it, it's enjoyable and them. entertaining I think because if you don't entertain uh, you won't get them. Yeah, it's an interesting idea to make it entertaining. But do, do you think the industry is up for this? Do you think do you think they are taking it seriously enough? I think it's interesting, isn't it? I think the, you know, we, we've seen periods of time in the past where you know, if you look back to the 90s, uh, you, you saw all the banks uh, were in the advisory market, but they all pulled out uh, because they didn't like the regulatory challenges of it. And so, you know, advice has been... Um, in the minds of the those qualified advisors and it's been not very easy to if you like digitize any of that today and we're just seeing some things starting to start around planning financial planning and so on but still quite a long way to go i think before we see a much more digitally uh, embraced advisor proposition uh, than the, than there is today so i think that is really is the start of the journey a long way to go, as you say. Well, thanks very much indeed. That's it from this Embark mini-pod. My grateful thanks to Phil Bungie, who's CEO of Advance by Embark. Well, it's been a fascinating discussion on a really key topic. And I'll be back with more mini-pods. I'm Roger Hearing for now. Thanks for listening and goodbye. <laughs>